Let's all please stand as we turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteous with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? I'll read that one more time. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? God bless and honor the reading of his word, and you may be seated. June is almost over. It's almost over. And it used to be very, very popular, and I'm assuming it still is for a lot of people, but it used to be very, very popular to get married in June. I've done more uh, weddings you know, marriages, weddings. Done a lot of weddings in June. Uh, I, I haven't this year. I hadn't last, well, I didn't last year, I don't think. Maybe I did, I don't remember at the moment. <laughs> but I used to do a lot of marriages in June because they, uh, the old statement, the old saying was, if you get married in June, you'll always be a bride. In fact, there was a, a movie, one of my favorite musicals, where they say, when you marry in June, you'll always be a bride. There was a song to that, you'll always be a bride. That was an old saying. But the fact of the matter is, is, popular popular for weddings june is not like it once was because even though people still get married in june and that was the way it was for a long time it's the most popular one it's not like it was because marriages aren't as popular as they used to be because people believe it's okay to live in sin in fact you're an old-fashioned uh, idiot in a lot of people's minds if you believe you're supposed to get married before living like a married couple they're living in sin uh living like a, a but trash in the eyes of the, the Lord. That's how he, he calls it. He actually uses other words for it. But the truth be told, you're not living correctly. If you're living out of wedlock and you're behaving like a married couple, you're not living the way God wants you to live. Uh, you may justify it in your own mind, but that's not how God sees it. I won't use the words that he uses, but the, at least not this moment. But the truth be told, uh, it's not right. And a lot of people live that way. And there, there's perverse. There's a lot of perverse celebrations now in June. We talked about it just a couple weeks ago. There's a lot of perverse celebrations that have taken over June. And uh, so no longer do they talk about being married in June. Now they talk about June and something else has taken over it. A specific way of living has taken over June. And they talk about pride being a big thing in June now. And that's a sad thing because pride is something that should not be something celebrated. The fact is that pride is something that is not to be celebrated at all because Pride is perverse anyway. And I'm not just talking about that lifestyle. Pride is something that the Bible talks against. It's something that if you have a, a prideful life, it's, it's difficult to, uh, to live a good life with the Lord God if you're a prideful person because it's hard to put God first in your life if you're prideful. Moving on from that, though, today we're going to talk about a specific bride, a bride, a specific bride, and we're going to be talking about the bride, but the runaway bride. A Runaway Bride. And that's the title of today's sermon, The Runaway Bride. Now, in 1999, there was a movie called Runaway Bride that came out starring Julia Roberts. You might have seen it. I actually like that movie. I don't like everything about it, but I like the uh, I like the soundtrack, especially. I actually have that. I mostly bought it because there was a song on there I couldn't get anywhere else for one of my, one of my very favorite musicians. But there's a lot of people who are runaway brides nowadays, and we're going to talk about that in a second. When the Bible speaks about the bride, it's not just talking about people getting married. 
when the Bible talks about the bride, there is a specific bride that the Bible talks about, and the bride is the church. The bride is the church, and today that's what we're going to talk about an awful lot. We'll speak about literal brides a little bit, but mostly we're going to talk about the church. The bride is the church, and by the way, the church is the people. The church is not just a building that you see. Some buildings look like a good old-fashioned church building. Some buildings that say they're a church don't look like that, but that's, you know, that's between them and the Lord. However, know this, that when we talk about the bride today in the church, we're talking about the people. The people, that is to say, the Christians, the saints, the soldiers, to follow Christ. At least they should be. And we're going to talk about who's the groom then? Who's the groom? The groom is Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So let's now turn to the book of Matthew. And that's not that hard to find. It's the very first book of the New Testament. So let's turn to the book of Matthew. And let's turn to Matthew 25, and Jesus is going to tell us a parable, a wonderful parable, one that I'm sure you've all heard. It's a beautiful parable indeed. Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. And as we do this, know that he's talking about uh, a marriage. He's talking about the church. And we're going to get to this as he's speaking about the virgins. And we're going to speak about ten virgins, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about what this means. But first, let's read this. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 13. And Jesus says this, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be like ten virgins who took their lamps. Of course, we know what the lamps are. They're like the, the kind of a lampstands. Now, these are, when I think of lamps now as a kid, I didn't know what that meant. I thought about the lamps we have in our home. It's not that. Think of Aladdin and his magic lamp. They look more like that. I got some in my office in there. Although these are made out of clay, really. But anyway, so they took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them, verse 2, five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps, but took no oil with them. But the wise took jars of oil with their lamps. While the bridegroom delayed, they all rested and slept. Verse 6, but the, at midnight there was a cry, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet to meet him. Then all those virgins rose up and trimmed their lamps, or wicks as some virgins say. But the foolish said to the wise, give us, give us some of your oil, for our lamps have gone out. The wise answered, No, lest there not be enough for us and you. Go rather to those who sell it and buy some for yourselves. But while they went to buy some, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with them, uh, excuse me, went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Afterward, other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, now we're talking about those who didn't have the oil in their lamps, said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I don't know you. Watch therefore, for for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. This is a sad, sad story. And it's a true story. Know this, the virgins, we're talking about the five wise ones, are the Christian church. The ones who are ready, the ones who are prepared. The ones who have the oil to have salvation, have Jesus Christ in the heart of the personal Lord and Savior. The five who are foolish, in this situation, Jesus Christ was talking about Israel. It was talking about the Jewish, those who haven't asked Jesus Christ in their heart, their personal Lord and Savior, those who said that Jesus Christ wasn't the Messiah. He was telling them straight out that they're not prepared, you're not ready, you're not prepared. 
When I was a young man, I used to know that a, a test was coming at school. And I would say, oh, I got time. Oh, I got time. Oh, I will study. I will study. I got time. And you know what happened? So very often, sometimes I would study. And other times, I didn't have the, the wisdom in my mind because I didn't study. I didn't have a preparation ready right here. You know what happens so very often? People do that. They put off. They put off. They put off. How many Christians are doing that right now? Or how many people who know that they need to ask Jesus Christ in the heart? Well, God understands. He still loves me. He still loves me. That's not the point. He's given us the time to get prepared for Jesus Christ. Even Christians right now are out there running around. They may be part of the bride, the church, but you know what? When you don't live it, you don't behave it, you don't prepare and be prepared to live for Christ, how do you know that you are part of the bride? You better be prepared. You better be ready. The fact of the matter is, is the bride, the church, uh, uh, we are the bride of Christ, church. How many people say they're a part of the bride, but they don't live like they're part of the bride? They don't do anything like the bride. We need to make sure that we are living like the bride of Christ, church, every single one of us. What is it we're doing today that isn't making Christ happy? What is it we're doing today that isn't making the Lord happy? Now, this is not to point things out at you personally, but I'm talking about each and every one of us, which is a part of the bride of Christ. There are things in our life, every single one of us. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you, all of us. We need to get certain things prepared in our life. Hand it over to God. He will help us with that. This is not talking about losing salvation, because you can't. You can't lose your salvation. But what you can do is lose a closeness in your relationship with the Lord God. And we know there's things in our lives. We know that. And God will help us with that. I'm not pointing this out to you. But I will tell you this. There's much of the modern church that are part of the runaway bride. Because the modern church, and I'm talking about a lot of them, who are unequally yoked with the Lord. So much of the modern church is more, more uh, uh, concerned about the people in the pews. Now, of course, I would like to have every single pew filled, but I am thrilled to see the people who are here. You know why? Because what I am more concerned about is the people who are here to hear the word of God that love Jesus Christ, just like I love Jesus Christ. I love you, each and every one of you, and more importantly, my Savior who lives within my heart loves you more than we could possibly say, but Pastor, I'm not perfect. I know you're not perfect, but guess what? The perfect one within me, the perfect one within you loves you, every bit of you. That doesn't mean he loves everything you do, but he loves you, bride. He loves you. He loves you enough to point out through the Holy Spirit when you do wrong. And he loves you enough to put your arms around you and hold you tight. He loves you. And he wants more of the bride. He wants to bring more people into the bride. He wants to bring more people to the church. We're not just talking about the moment of truth, but the entire church. All these churches, we're, we're not in competition with one another. This is why I, I'm always saying when other pastors and, and other ministers try to take people out of one church to the other, they shouldn't do that. We're together. We're not to be going against each other. That's not supposed to be. We're a part of one family. We're a part of the same bride. I love my fellow pastors. I love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I love them. But to teach the truth, the full truth, the full truth, the full word. That's how it's supposed to be. But much of the modern church is part of the runaway bride, the fallen away, the unequally yoked. And I'm not saying they don't know the Lord. But when they're teaching things, and I'm not saying all churches are this way, by the by, but there are many churches out there that are teaching things that are not fully true to, in order to make tickling, uh, itchy ears happy. And we're not to be that way. We're not to be that way. Teach the truth. But yes, you can do it in love. But sometimes when people say do it in love, they want you to teach things that make people happy. But that's not truly love, loving. Because I'm going to tell you something. 
There's a lot of things I would have loved as a kid for my mother and father to have done for me that would have been bad for me. Thank God our Father God doesn't do that for us. Wouldn't it be unloving to give us what makes us feel good, what's not good for us? We have a, a, a lady who visits here a lot right now uh, who has been a nurse for many years. And there's a lot of people who would have loved to have had a lot of things that are bad for them and, would, and in the long run would have been very unhealthy for them. Can you imagine if the, a nurse was unloving enough to give them something that's poison for them instead of giving them something that's good for them? How horrible that would have been. Praise God that God doesn't say, okay, that makes you happy. I'll give you something that's sinful for you. But that's what a lot of churches are doing right now. They're doing something that's unequally yoked. So let's now open to 2 Corinthians 6.14. That's what we opened with. But we're going to go on from there. Because last week, I opened with 2 Corinthians 6.15-18. through So this week, we're going to go 6.14-18. Because it all goes together. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 18. Listen to what this says. Now, we'll talk more about this, but this is why I'm always telling the people when I marry them together, never be unequally yoked. Never be unequally yoked. Because if you're unequally yoked, Christian with unchristian, you're never going to be happy. It's never going to work, and I know. Now, what I say I know, I mean if you're not equally yoked in your relationship with the Lord. Now this here tie I wore today, because I've worn this tie at more marriages, more, more marriage ceremonies, I mean, more weddings, than any other tie. In fact, I even wear it in my own. And uh, even in this uh, coat too. But the truth be told, if you do not put God first in your marriage, you're unequally yoked. And God has to be number one. And I know that God has to be the one that leads you and guides you. And if not, it, things will not work out. It will not be an equally balanced, prepared marriage. But this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And this is talking about in life too. And this doesn't mean you can't be loving to them and be friendly with them, but you'll never see eye to eye. Love them, be kind to them, but never expect to be together equally balanced. This is what it says. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? What agreement has Christ with Belial? Belial? Or what part has he who believes with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God? Verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple. It's talking about you believers. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live in them and walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. Verse 18, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Hallelujah. We're not to be unequally yoked. Now, in literal marriage... In a literal marriage, I'm going to go to literal marriage for now, between husband and wife. In a literal marriage, it needs to be equally yoked. As I said a while ago, if you're not equally yoked, it will not work out. I've seen so many people who fall in love with someone, and I understand that. We, we have physical wants and desires, and sometimes we meet someone that we may emotionally be attached to. But folks, if God doesn't come first and that other person doesn't put God first, it's not going to work out. It's just not going to work out. 
no matter what you try, you could try to work things out with them for five months, six months, ten years. It's not going to work out no matter what you try because God has to be number one in your life and in her life or your life and his life. It has to happen that way. Otherwise, because if your God isn't God and it's your wife or your God isn't your God and it's your husband or your God isn't your God and it's money or whatever it might be, all things are going to go askew. It's not going to work out. That's a fact. Because one way or another, there's always going to be a battle going on. Think of it as a scale. It's always going to be going back and forth until finally someone's going to win out. Either you're going to give up and let that person win, or God's going to win. But one way or another, it's not going to work. So let us now, uh, you need to spiritually be following God. Let's now turn to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read verses 22 through 33. And this is the one that a lot of people love to look at and think is sexist because they read one line, and that's what they do. Because you've got to remember we're in a modern time, and in a modern time they don't like to look at the Word of God most of the time. Because when they look at, a, at one line, they say, oh, it's saying that women aren't very important. That's not what it says. Women have a different position as men. But let me tell you something. I know a lot of wonderful women, many wonderful women, who are right here, and I'm looking at them. Wonderful, wonderful women. You may not think you're wonderful, but you are. Partially because you're in a position that God has put you in, and I'm very proud of you. You know, you know one of the things I'm proud of you about the most? I'm proud of you because you know the position God has put you in, and you know that God loves you for who you are, and he placed you in this world to follow him, and you know that. And you're not trying to get along with this world and be like the women of this world and saying, I'm more important than men, I'm more important than this and that. No, men are not more important than women. Women are more important than men. God is more important than men. And God is more important than women. And that's the truth. And that's the fact. And that's that. And I'm not going to hear any different. Because I don't have to answer to women. I don't have to answer to men. I have to answer to God. And that's it. And you do, and you the same. And you're the same. You're the same. Listen to what it says. If I can go. <laughs> this crazy wind keeps blowing it back and forth. Here we go. Chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands, as unto the Lord. No, this is not saying that men, your husband is God. It's not what it's saying. It's not what it's saying at all. For the husband is the head of, of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the Savior of the and excuse me, head and the Savior of the church. Now this is symbolic. Listen to what it says here. Which is, excuse me. Just as Christ is the head and Savior of the church, which is his body. But as a church submits to Christ, so also let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. That's a lot of times where people stop. We're not going to do that. Go on to verse 25 here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And he might sink that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. In this way men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord cares for the church 
For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, for the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I am speaking about Christ and the church. Whoever, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Hallelujah. We're speaking about both things here. The church, the bride Christ, excuse me, the bride church, and Christ the groom. And we're speaking about how husbands and wives should love and respect one another and do unto others as we would have them do unto us. This is what it's talking about. This is what it's talking about. And with this, I'm also going to quote, and I want you to write this down. I'm sure I know I've quoted it before. 1 Corinthians 11.3. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says, But I would have you know, this is uh, Paul speaking again, but I would have you know that the head of the woman is the man, and the head of every man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. I use this often because I'm always telling people that God comes first, with God, of course, is Christ, because they're the same. With God comes first, then the husband and the wife as they walk together equally, following the Lord God, then the children, then our friends and fam our family and friends, then enemy, then us. We are not to ever put ourselves before the Lord God ever. Selfishness does not work and it certainly doesn't work in a marriage, but it doesn't work in a marriage of the church and the Lord God. People of a church should never be selfish. It should not be that way. But know this church, we are not to be unfaithful. We are not to be the runaway bride. Listen to what Jesus says. You're going to like this. In Mark chapter 2 verse 19, in Mark chapter 2, verse 19, listen to what he says. Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? I had to think on this for a minute. He says, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. Now, what is this talking about? Folks, as long as we have Jesus Christ with us, we're not to fast. What does it mean to fast? It means not to eat, not to eat. We are to be feasting. We're to be feasting on the Word, eating on the Word, living on the Word. We're to be feasting constantly with God, having the, the feast brought to us constantly because we have Jesus Christ with us. How many Christians nowadays, how many Christians are not eating? They're not eating and feasting upon what Christ wants to give them. The groom, the bridegroom wants to give them so many things. But there are so many churches out there, the progressive churches out there, the prosperity churches out there that are trying to live off the money. Money, 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 money. Riches, riches, riches. That's not going to happen because you're, you're going off of pride. That's a different kind of pride month, isn't it? Yeah, it's a different kind of pride month. Or the, the progressive, that's a different kind of pride month. And, and, and yes, some of those progressives go off of the pride like what we see here in June. Or they go off of pride of other things. Progressive, oh, it's all about self, self, self. No, 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 no. You're feeding off of other things, but not feeding off Christ. We as a church, as the bride, we are to feed off the Lord, feed off his word, feed off of a relationship with Jesus. We are not to be the runaway bride running away from the Lord God. We're to be proudly following him. If we're to have pride in our life, it's to be proud of our groom. Amen? Amen. If we find ourselves looking into what the world around us is saying and living like them, then we got a problem.
we are being an unfaithful bride. I dress today like I dressed at my own wedding back in the day because I don't want to be like an unfaithful bride. I want to be like a bride that's following the Lord God because I've never been unfaithful and I'm not going to be unfaithful to my Lord and Savior. When I said my vows back in the day, I wasn't speaking to an individual. I was speaking to the Lord God who brought me into this world and I meant every word and I'm going to stick to that that every single thing I said was to the Lord God Almighty, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we, as followers, we are part of the bride of Christ, and we need to continue to go on every single day being true to him who was true to us and died on the cross for us. We need to remember that every single day. Now, we are not to starve ourselves spiritually, but we are to feed on the word and the worship and the study and to continue to live daily through the Holy Spirit. Now, let us turn. Let's turn to the book of Hosea. I'm going to read a little to you about the book from the book of Hosea. Hosea was a man who God chose. And this is a man who went through an awful lot. He went through an awful lot. I mean, you have to understand about the book of Hosea. We're going to read a little bit from chapter one. Now I'm not going to read you verse one, but I am going to read you verse two through verse 13, or excuse me, verse 11, verse 2 through 11. And we're going to look a little bit at what happened at this time. Know that the people of Israel, the people were turned away from the Lord God, and God was going to be talking, showing a symbol. You could say an illustration. God was using Hosea as an illustration to the people of Israel. They turned from him, just like he talked to them so many times at that time. Because Israel had turned away from God, and he's like, I'm about to turn away from you, Israel. I'm about to turn away from you. You've been unfaithful to me. You've been an unfaithful bride to the groom. And I've had my fill. I've had my fill of this. So he was using Hosea as an example. You could say Hosea was uh, uh, the illustration of the groom. And his bride here was an illustration of Israel being unfaithful to God. And this is difficult. Well, I'm going to read you what's said here from the minister who wrote this stuff down after I read uh, chapter 1 here. It says in chapter 1, verse 2, When the Lord first spoke to Hosea, by, uh, spoke by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take for yourselves a wife of harlotry, the children of har harlotry, um, for the land was com has committed great harlotry, uh, which... The word used in the King James, I'm just going to say it straight out, the word in King James is uh, whoredom. They were living uh, in whoredom from the Lord, cheating on the Lord, being unfaithful to the Lord, uh, de departing from the Lord. So he, he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, as a wife. She conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will uh, punish the house of Jehu by the blood of Jezreel. And I will bring to an end the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then Gomer conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, Call her name Lo-Rahumah, for I will no longer have mercy upon the house of Israel, but will utterly sweep them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God. And will not save them by uh, by bow or by sword, for by battle or by 
or by battle or by horses or by horsemen. When Gomer had weaned Lo-Rahoma, uh, she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said, Call his name Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel will be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there will be said to them, You are the children of the living God. Then will the Judahites and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head, and they will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Now, here's what's going on. God is trying to make an illustration, an illustration of, of what is going to happen to the land of Israel. The Spirit of God inspired Hosea to see his redeeming love for his people, talking about the Lord God. In his own personal life, Hosea experienced an unfaithful wife. Her name was Gomer. Surprise, 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 I always say when I'm reading that. Surprise, surprise, surprise. She's unfaithful. And, uh, and that is what happens. She's unfaithful, just like Israel is unfaithful to God. And so poor Hosea has to have an unfaithful wife, Gomer. And so uh, she loved other men. Likewise, Israel had been unfaithful, uh, an unfaithful bride to her husband, the living God. And God's people had followed after others' gods. And they did. Israel was always following other gods. And, and it, we see it over and over and over and over again in the book of Judges and all these books. It says, and once again, Israel turned away from God. And once again, Israel turned away from God. And once again, and we see it again and again. And why? Because they're listening to other people. And folks, we see it right now in the churches. We see so many churches. They're not being a faithful bride to the Lord God. And we're not to be that way. We don't want to be. We should not be. We cannot be a runaway bride. And if you are tempted to turn away, take it to the Lord right now. Don't be a part of that runaway bride. But I want to be nice to other people. You can be nice to them. That doesn't mean you need to go running with them. Hosea eventually brought back his unfaithful wife from slavery and returned her to his household. We see that in Hosea chapter 3. So God's Spirit seeks to redeem his people from the bondage of idolatry and restore them to his household of faith. Again, Hosea. We see the power of the Holy Spirit use supernatural gifts to prepare his people for specific types of warfare or ministry. And Hosea was given a prophetic vision of God's love for his people causing him to cry out for Israel to repent and return to God who loves her. God's promise to his unfaithful people was this. I will heal their backsliding and I will love them freely for my anger has turned away from Israel. And that's Hosea 14.4. This is what this minister says in this position. It says, God's spirit calls us to be a faithful wife to the Lord loves us with an everlasting love and we church we Christians we are part of the bride of Christ but we are to be faithful not unfaithful sadly much of the church is unfaithful because we are on the last day now today now today many of them teach unbiblical truths lies under their own point of view progressive churches want to float your boat and progressive churches want to float their financial boat. And this is a true shame. It says in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, 2-4, remember what the Lord says, For I am, uh, I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. This is what Paul is saying. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, 
for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear that somehow, as a servant deceives Eve through his trickery, so your minds might be led astray from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we do not have not preached, or if you receive another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might submit to it readily enough. There's a lot of people doing that in churches today. They're quickly going to another groom, quickly being unfaithful to the Lord because it tickles their ears. And that's a shame. That's a true shame. And it says in 2 Thessalonians 3.3, 2 Thessalonians 3.3 says, But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Listen to God. Folks, I'm not just talking about listening to the Bible. I'm not just talking about reading the Bible. Pray. Have a continuous relationship with Christ. Continuously listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, you know the Holy Spirit. You feel the Holy Spirit, don't you? You feel the Holy Spirit. Don't you feel that, that feeling deep down in your heart whenever the Holy Spirit is telling you, walk away. Walk away. Don't go that direction. Don't go that direction. If you ignore that, then that's all on you. Don't go towards that runaway bride. Don't be like the runaway bride. Run back, run back, run back, away, run away. I was saying earlier, June has become all about pride. It's become all about selfishness. Pridefully living in a sinful manner, thumbing their nose at God, even though they may not be aware of it because they've been taught, so many people have been taught be proud of what you are. Not even realizing, not even realizing that this pride destroys relationships with the bride and the groom. Destroying relationship between the church and the people and Christ, their God. Because they made a God of themselves. And it's a shame. But it's not too late. It's not too late. Today we need to pray about our attitude and our spirit. We need to pray about that. We need to pray about our attitude and our spirit. If you are disagreeing with God's word more than going with it, then you pray about it. You need to pray about it. I know because I have to do. Every day. Every day, God has to set me straight. Things I say or don't say, the way I say it. I unintentionally say things at times, or at least the manner in which I say it. And God has to set me straight and make sure I'm balanced. Make sure I'm balanced through the Holy Spirit. We need, following, we need to be following the Lord God. Sometimes there's too many people who are following the world more than the Creator. We need to make sure that's not us. We want to make sure we're not a part of that runaway bride. But it's not too late. It's not too late. There's time to run back to His arms, to repent while we still can. I pray for those who are willfully a part of the runaway bride. Not be angry at them. Be angry at the enemy who's tricked them. Not to be hateful to them, but hate what they're doing. Pray for them. Just pray for them. i got a few scriptures to read to you real quick. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this, Yes, and all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. 
at 2 Timothy 3.12. It says you're going to suffer persecution. And you know you are. Right now, because you're not in agreement with the world, and you see it all the time, you suffer a little persecution. You get mocked. You get made fun of. You suffer persecution. But here's what i got to say to you if you're suffering persecution. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for your persecution. I'm proud of you for the suffering you're going through. People may call you horrible names. They may call you old biddies. They may call you horrible names because you have the audacity to agree with the Bible and not with the people of this world. Oh, how dare you agree with God the Creator <laughs> and not the people of this world. Oh, how dare you. How dare you be old-fashioned. How dare you be in agreement with the Creator of the world and not the world itself. How dare you. By the way, I'm being facetious because you should be in agreement with the one you have to answer to at the end. You don't have to answer these people. You can be loving. Only the stupid world would think that you're supposed to be so nice that you're bowing down to their knees. And by the way, they're like, oh, but you're hurting their feelings. You're hurting the believer's feelings. How come you're not worried about that? Come on now. Come on. 2 Timothy 2.15. Listen to this now, believers. And you remember this, because remember you're answering to God. Listen to what it says. Study to show yourself approved by God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's you. So I know it's difficult when, you, when we see so much of the church right now being a runaway bride, but that's not you. Show yourself approved to the groom. Show yourself approved bride. Colossians 1.24. Bride, continue to be prepared. Colossians 1.24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and fill up Fill up, now I'm not saying my name, <laughs> fill, F-I-L-L-U-P, fill up in my flesh that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. And one more, one more, Colossians 3.15. This is important. When you feel all the afflictions of the world upon you, and I know you do, I know you do, bride. And by the way, Time is running out. Time is running out, bride. You know, I've done so many weddings right here in this church and many, many others, many other churches, many other places, but you know what I have to wait on more than anything else? The bride getting prepared. I do. I have to wait on the bride getting that job. I don't mean that as a sexist pos uh, position. It's just the truth. The bride getting prepared because the poor brides have to put on all these wonderful, beautiful, and they always look gorgeous most of the time. Look very gorgeous, you know. They come out looking just beautiful. Beautiful as all get out. And they're all from head to, to feet. They're just looking gorgeous and beautiful and everything else. But, you know, we all have to wait on that. But the bride of Christ, the church, the Lord has told us, the groom has told us the time is coming. And too often the bride, meaning the church, is sitting around, not necessarily being prepared, but they're unprepared. They're unprepared. They're back there messing around, lollygagging around. We already know the time is coming. Oh, the church, or the, the, the wedding starts at 2 o'clock, and they start getting prepared at what time? Oh, 1.55. Come on now. Come on. You know what time the wedding is supposed to start. And there's people out here waiting. The groom is waiting. Folks, Jesus Christ, the groom is waiting, and the church, the bride is not getting prepared. That's not the groom's fault. What are you doing? Come on now. But we shouldn't do that as the bride. 
We shouldn't do that to the groom, Jesus Christ. And then are we supposed to complain? No, we should be mad at ourselves. This one says, Colossians 3.15, Let the peace of God, which is also, which also you are called, to which also you are called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Too many people complain about God all the time. Well, if God's so loving, why? listen, don't complain about God. Be thankful and grateful that he loves you despite your imperfections. You have a lot of imperfections in your life. I know, because I do. We have a lot of imperfections, and God loves us still. We are to be grateful, be thankful. Let the peace of God, I'll say it again, Colossians 3.15, let the peace of God, which also you are called in one body, church, rule in your hearts and be thankful. Amen? Amen. And we close today with a book that we're going to be closing with this Wednesday. Revelation 22, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let him who hears say, Come. Let him who is thirsty come. Let him who desires to take the water of life freely. Church, there are so many places in the church for others to come. Invite them to be a part of the bride of Christ. Don't worry about what they're going to say. It doesn't matter. But invite them to be the bride, part of the bride, just like with you. You know, a lot of times they say, oh, they would never come. How do you know until you invite them? Invite them. And I'm not just talking about being a part of this church, a moment of truth. I'm talking about being a part of salvation. They may be full of sin and everything else. So are you. But you're saved by the grace of Jesus. Invite them. Oh, but they're this and that. So what? God doesn't want one, not even one, to be persecuted, to suffer in damnation, in hell. Invite them. We want all to go into heaven with us as part of the bride of Christ. Amen? And let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for saving us that we can be a part of the bride of Christ, Lord God, the church. We pray right now and thank you for all of those who are a part of the bride with us. I pray that you be with them. Help them to walk and follow you, Lord God. For those who are swaying back and forth with parts of the world. I pray, Lord God, that you will help them to walk with a close personal relationship with you. Bring them away from that. For those who believe they are saved but they're not, I pray, Lord God, you will take away that confusion. Allow them to see where they're at so you can bring them completely over to completely ask you into their heart so that they will become part of the bride. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for the ability to be saved only because of you and your grace. Lord, I pray right now that more will be a part of the bride than not. Lord, I know what your word says, but I know that we have a chance, and by we I mean you through us, to bring others over. And I pray for to, on this day there will be a revival, a great revival that more will come over. And I pray, Lord God, that you will open up your church so that more will come in. And Lord, before the time comes, I pray that there'll be a, uh, an understanding, that more people will understand just how close the time is. I pray today, Lord, we hand ourselves over to you, allow you to do change that needs to be done within us. In Jesus' most holy, precious name, amen.